0: Welcome to Listener, a Crew podcast. I'm your host, Sam Holland. Today's guest is CJ Neal. CJ and his wife Anika serve as the team leaders for the high school and middle school ministries of Crew in the greater Indianapolis area. A native of Indianapolis, CJ enjoys the opportunity to serve the same communities that shaped him from his youth. Over the last 25 years, 17 on staff with Crew, CJ has spoken to and served in and advised many churches, schools, and organizations in the Indianapolis area and beyond. CJ, so you are with the campus ministry in Indianapolis. You're the team leader there with your wife, Anika. Tell us the story of how you ended up there.
1: Yeah, so... Um, um, so grateful to be even here in this spot <clears throat> um talking with you sam and um you know I look at my life all the time as an uh, as a black man from the inner city working with a missions organization um I never would have thought that that this would have been me at all um, we uh my my background is just uh i wasn't even involved with crew um in college um my Now, wife connected me with crew. Post-college, I was working with um, a youth group at my church, and we went to the same church and became friends. And um, she said, well, you're working with the youth group. You ought to take your students to this thing called Impact. And I was like, well, what is Impact? And uh, even at that time, the Impact Movement was a conference. That was all I knew, that the Impact Movement was a conference. Um, But when I got there... Uh, I came to understand that the Impact Movement was not just any conference. It was a conference that was uh, 2,000 African American college students, and it was put on by other people in the community, many and most of whom were missionaries. And wait a minute, what? They're missionaries who look like me? That was a whole different, <laughs> a whole different setup, and so. Um, even from that time from our first time taking students to the impact conference, um, the Lord showed me a whole different side of ministry. Um, and from that conference, he actually, uh, solidified a vision that I had. Um, I am on staff with the campus ministry, but I'm actually working, uh, my wife and I are the directors for the middle and high school ministries, um, here in Indy. And so, um, I knew how to work with high school students, but I didn't know that I could make that my vocation anywhere outside of the church. But I've always had a heart for my city and um, as a product of the public schools uh, here in my city. And um, knowing what it was like to be a a high school student that had a knowledge about God, but had no idea to live out my faith on campus. Uh, When I came across what was at the time called Student Venture, um, it was actually at the Impact Conference that I came in contact. with Student Venture and uh, now Crew High School. And um, so that's where the Lord solidified a lot of the things He had been doing in my life and called me to come on staff. So uh, that's been some 17, 18 years ago now.
0: There's this quote that I've heard you say, and it's, you can't be what you can't see. CJ, how is that tied to impact, or where did you first hear that?
1: Yeah, it was something that um, over time— the Lord's just just developed, and you know it really comes out of Scripture. Um, I had the opportunity to speak a few years ago uh, at an impact, I mean, excuse me, at a, at a crew conference, and um, there's this one chapter and uh, that, that Jesus is going through, and he's telling his disciples like everything. It starts with the uh, the healing of uh, the, the the paralytic. And even though the healing is about the paralytic, what he's what Jesus is showing is he's showing other people what they can't see. Um and in the midst of that, like this whole chapter, uh Matthew chapter nine, Jesus is taking his disciples on this journey of things that so I'm showing people how they can't see certain things. And it culminates in uh Jesus actually. This this magnitude of discipleship, where since everything in the chapter is talking about a different perspective, a different vision, um, you really just can't be what you can't see. And Jesus models those things for us. Um, but it's also it was also true even at that time with the impact movement. I personally only had a, a mindset of ministry, that ministry happens in the context of a church. Um, I had I didn't know any missionaries before seeing the ones I saw at Impact, um, and then thusly I could only teach what I had seen, so my experiences had only gotten me so far, and so um, over time as as uh, as I began to get on the campus and uh, began to walk this thing out, um, not only did my own personal vision change. But what I was able to give to students changed. And it was really because I couldn't be what I couldn't see. And so that really just became a mantra for my ministry. I needed to help expose students to the truth of God's word and also other opportunities. And um, not just opportunities within the church, but opportunities that are around them, even in their own communities. So, um, I mean, it works in parenthood. It works in... uh, and anything else we do in life you can't be what you can't see. So
0: got it. So in a spiritual sense, you know, God sending Jesus was him showing us, all right, I'll show you what what my kingdom is like. Watch watch this. Exactly. And in a personal sense, you said, you know, before you went to Impact, you didn't even know that there would be 2000 African American missionaries or people who cared about Jesus' mission or so?
1: Yeah. I mean, in the in, the, in many churches, I mean, it happens in, in all churches, but I'll just say, especially in the African-American church, we don't get the opportunity to see that many young people expressing their faith in Christ the way that I saw at the Impact Conference. And um, it had always been in me. Um, uh, and I've attempted to show students over time, I mean, I grew up in a time when Christian hip hop was just taking off, and if anybody remembers what Christian hip hop used to be at that time, oh my gosh, it was not the greatest, but it was a better voice than we had had um, with, from just uh, singing spirituals and um, you know just the hymn books, and it was something that that was in our own language. Um, so shout out to the Cross Movement and other people who were in the forefronts of actually turning hip- Christian hip hop into a good thing. Um, and then there's Pastor Tommy Canolan down in, uh, in Florida and uh, Tampa, who actually had the first hip hop church um, in America. And so, um, you know, when I visited the church and saw what was happening and saw these videos, there was things going on like Flavor Fest, etc. Because of being able to see these other innovators, it allowed me to express the things that they got to put on my heart and that I wasn't the only one. I wasn't going crazy, but I had never seen it at the magnitude of what was happening at impact. And so it gave me and my wife a vision to expand the vision of those around us.
0: It had an impact on you.
1: Indeed. Indeed. Yeah.
0: It's well named. So CJ, will you tell us this story? I know that something happened the first time that you spoke in a classroom on a campus. Tell us what campus was that and what happened?
1: Yeah, so again, coming out of um, my background, I actually came on staff mid-career. And so um, coming out of my profession and taking this this leap of faith um, to to really just do what I knew that God was calling me to, um, there's, there wasn't really a precedent for how to start in the inner city of Indianapolis. There have been other ministries around, um, but... Nobody actually started up in the way um in, in this particular way. So I wasn't necessarily going in blind. I mean my leaders were, you know, telling me everything. Of course we do wind, build, and sand, right? But how do we actually get in on this campus? And so the Lord had opened up some doors um on the campus being uh I came to understand that there's not many people who had the opportunity, at least prior to, you know, when we came on staff, um, they had the opportunity to minister in the same city they grew up in. And so for me, this was going to one of my rival high schools, and uh, but I knew the principal. I knew some of the basketball coaches, volleyball coach, et cetera. And so there were some open doors there. Um, and one of the things that the school actually had at that time was a gospel choir class. So I thought that was going to be like a good spot to, to start. So I went and met the teacher. She said, yeah, come on in and you can do a classroom talk and yada, yada. It was going to be good. I thought it was great. But when I got there, uh, I was expecting that there might be, you know, it's a choir class. So maybe, you know, 30 kids in a classroom set up nice and she's got everything. It's a choir. So they got to have some type of order. Right. Well, I get there and what I see is like, you know, picture a band room for any of you guys who have known this. Like there's risers and there's about 60 kids and not enough chairs. In addition to that. The teacher wasn't even there that day. There was a substitute teacher. So here I am walking in brand new in this environment. There's kids all over the place with a substitute teacher. And they now, in addition to the substitute speaker, they have, I mean, teacher, they have a guest speaker. What in the world is going on? So uh, pretty much my lesson plan got scrapped for that day. Um, (laughs) I ended up just kind of, you know, bringing something different off the cuff and then just letting the kids, you know, just kind of be, well, there was this one kid who, um no matter where he went in the classroom, people's eyes were on him. You know, he was he would crack a joke and people would laugh and then he'd leave them and go to another group of kids. I just, he was just an obvious leader. Um and so I called him down. I said, Hey man, how you doing? You know, good to see you. I said, Man, it's it's uh it's obvious that you're a leader. What's your name? He said, My name is Antoine. I said, All right, man, what's up? Just, you know, this uh what are you doing in the gospel choir class? Um, and he said, man, it was elective, you know, so I just want to do this. I was like, all right, well, obviously you know something about God, but what do you know about Jesus? And he was like, well, not really that much. I said, all right, uh, today's Tuesday. I know you don't really know me. I don't know you. How about we get together on Tuesdays after this class and we can get to know more about each other and know more about Jesus. And he was like, yeah, that's cool. And then he surprised me with something. He said, "Can I bring my boys with me?" And that was the start of our ministry. We—I um, mean, it was just so quick, so so instant. The very first time I got with them, I was able to go through um, the connecting with God booklet. And um, Antoine was faithful. He brought five of his friends, and all five of those young men, uh, well, all six of them, accepted Christ that day, and that started our Bible studies. Um, that launched the rest of the movements Um, like I said we've been that was on on Arlington's campus Um, and we were able to expand over the years Um, and it all started again just with a step of faith and seeing God move I remember calling my wife really in tears on that first day afterward like babe it's working like God is at work already (laughs) (laughs) so yeah Um, uh, that was uh, the first introduction to just You really using the leverage of the people that I knew, but then watching God uh, do everything else um, and just moving the hearts of students.
0: Such a great story, and I just think about Antoine and like how maybe he had never met anyone like you, and he can't be what he can't see. You know what I mean? Maybe he was like, "Oh my gosh, this old person who's older than me is like calling me at you know calling me down, asking my name, wants to meet with me." That is, like, a really powerful thing for a student, right?
1: Yeah, and especially um, in our community, inner-city environments, African-American students predominantly. So many of these kids were like I was, that their father wasn't around, you know, older brother's a role model or something like that, and, you know, they can't really see past their neighborhoods. They can't really see past their immediate environments. And um, so over time, what we began to do um, as we just, you know, got to, became a part of the school. We were, uh, I was a chaplain for different teams. I was coaching sometimes. Um, but we began to take students from the high school campus and not just wait until the Impact Conference. We would take them to other local Impact chapters, um, some of which which we even had a hand to be able to start. And so um, we were able to expose students not just to Jesus, but also to a different way of life. What's it like going to college? How do you actually... Aim for something in the future right now. How do you begin to set up your life and plan for those things? And uh, we got to do it in the context of a family. Uh, The main thing that we would hear over and over as we meet with students is that I'm so glad to be introduced to Jesus. But what changed me was how I saw your family operate. And um, so even to this day, one of our most powerful ministry tools is bringing people into our home and they get to see how we interact as a family um yeah so many different things over time uh but yes not seeing many african-american men um taking the time to not just do life with them but also to share the truth of the gospel and that it's not something quirky or off-putting sometimes there's uh movies that just characterize uh people in the church as sadly something other than what most of us are and um so, yeah, so to have a, a tangible person that they can actually look at, touch, feel, ask questions um, is, is pretty powerful. So,
0: well, CJ, let's talk about partnership. Um, yeah, partnership is one of Crew's four priorities. Um, the other ones are, let me think, evangelism, the world, and diversity. But partnership, yeah. Is a really important one of our priorities that I think is showing up a lot in your ministry. And I know one way you've partnered well is with the Jude 3 project. Yeah. So can you tell us more about how Jude, what is Jude 3, and how has Jude 3 resourced and enhanced your ministry?
1: Yeah, so um uh I want to talk about Jude 3 because it's it's a what Jude 3 does is it offers us resources that are not readily available in broader Christendom. And um, so what many of us may not be aware of is that people are actually asking the question, is Christianity the white man's religion? And I've gotten that question not just from broader um, you know, academic places. No, this is, this is what students, high school students, middle school students, are asking on a regular basis. And early in, our, in my life in ministry, um, yes, it was good that, that we were uh, exposing children to the gospel and um, even bringing other adults around and helping link the church uh, to the schools. And, you know, again, those parts of partnership are needed. But when you think about what students are actually asking, they're bombarded with... Um, The history that they're taught, um, they're bombarded with uh, other things like what they're taught about in science and evolution, et cetera. Um, And so what does that actually mean to bring to bear the truth of the full gospel? And what what in the world does that have to do with my life, right? How is that going to help me get in my environment? And what students are actually processing. How can I trust a religion that my great-great-grandparents' slave owners gave them. That's a hard truth to actually filter through. Um, and so over time, we began to answer some of these questions for them, and I've grown up in my faith in Christ, but there's a lot of lots of students who haven't, or that their parents and grandparents have passed on to them something, but they got questions that nobody else is answering. And so we began to answer some of those questions, but we didn't have resources to actually be able to do that and say, this is something other than just what I think. Um, so the Jew 3 Project has, uh, for some years now, been a resource and they've grown into a, a multifaceted resource pool of uh, teachers and scholars and evangelists um, and others who are really bringing the truth of the scriptures uh, in light of uh, the a better historical narrative than especially here in America, where we got our um, our roots in Christianity from our slave owners that's just simply not true and um, so recently uh, just this past year, we had a group of students who um, they came through our ministry at a time when I was in my own formation. What am I thinking about? Um, my ethnicity and how that plays into scripture uh and not just my ethnicity but what is why does scripture mention ethnicity so much if what many of us have grown up thinking is that ethnicity is not important when it comes to religion. And um but it's it's it was increasingly on the minds and questions and and the the conversations we were having with students. And um so we could only go so far until uh, I ran it, I got in contact with you three, and so this last year, we actually re- reached back to some of our alumni who were asking some of these questions. Some of whom who had actually walked away from the faith because of their experiences once they got out of our uh, out of our scope, out of our immediate scope. They were they had been taken away by these other philosophies that were very much including their ethnicity. And they didn't have answers for how the Bible connected that. And so I was so thankful to be able to <clears throat> connect with you three ministries to, to be able to bring back um, our alumni who are now 20 somethings and bring them a fuller truth of the gospel. Not with what just what CJ thinks, not with just what Anika thinks, but here's a whole another ministry and another group of resources. Matter of fact, here's a curriculum that we can use and walk through together. You can ask questions. Yes, you can hear what I think, but you can also hear what other scholars are now saying about the truth of the Bible. So, um, yeah, partnership of all kinds is definitely important. Um, And, um, you know, that that expands to many different ways, but we're supposed to be renewed in our minds, right? Not conformed to the ways of this world. Um, And so how can we be not conformed to the ways of the world if we're not renewing our minds? And so we have to be able to teach people of, all ethnicities, how to think, and how to think rightly with the scriptures. And Jude 3 has been a great
0: partner in that. CJ, let's talk about this this past year. 2020, 2021, this is, this has been a year. This is obviously such a significant moment for race relations in the United States and the church And CJ, just tell us as a black man, how are you as a leader in your context, how are you using scripture and the life of Jesus to navigate this time?
1: Yeah, um, that's a great question and this can go so many different ways, um, But I think it really comes down to this. We are living in a time when sound bites seem like everything. Um, You know, you can be taken out of context in a heartbeat. And those sound bites are actually polarizing people. And we've got terms and definitions that I can say one thing and I can mean something, but somebody else can hear it completely differently. Because of their exposures, right? And so, once again, we're talking about exposures. That's what we can see, right? How about we take another look at the scriptures and actually read them and read them in context? So one of the things I've been doing this year is I've been walking through the book of Philippians. And um, Philippians has often been, uh, as I've heard it, a book about rejoicing, right? He does say that. uh, I say it again, rejoice, right? This is what Paul is saying. But upon a further look, I really think what Paul is writing about is relationships. Um, we, we all recognize the passage of let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Uh, and it's appealing to his humility. It's a beautifully written passage. This discourse is one that we refer to because it talks about how Christ emptied himself and became a servant and uh, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. But context is everything, right? Right. What is Paul actually asking for when he appeals to the example of Christ? He's actually asking for unity. And uh, just before those verses in chapter two, he's asking, is there any consolation from being in Christ? Uh, is there any any comfort you guys can, can draw from the love of God? Do you guys have, is there any tenderness and compassion among you? then consider Christ, right? This is what he did. Um, and so if we're backing up even further into chapter one, he's asking for unity, um, but that unity only comes through suffering. And as Christians, many times we don't want to suffer. and But Paul even says in another place that it's the suffering that helps us identify with Christ. That's how he, he, wants, to, he wants to fellowship with Christ not just in the benefits, but also in the sufferings. And um, isn't that what Christ actually did? I mean, he suffered from the get-go, his position of being worshiped all day, to not just become a human, but to become a fetus and walk through everything that we have um, and then become obedient to the things that he made. He made creation. He exists outside of time. But yet he became obedient to things that he was actually in control of. And he could have been at any time. But he became obedient even unto death for the sake of love. And, and, and it was because of love, right? Um, and so that's, what, that's actually what I believe is the focus of Paul's writings. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says um, that this is my prayer, that your love would abound more and more with all knowledge and uh, and all discernment. And so what does that mean? Knowledge by itself, Paul writes in another place, knowledge puffs up, right? But that discernment piece, that's actually caring about somebody. Um, and so I think that we as believers in this time, we miss some key things in scripture that actually we can use as guiding principles. Um, and so the... The simple principle that James writes about uh, Be quick to listen, slow to speak Slow to become angry My God, if we would just exercise that On a daily basis If we would be quick to listen um, But uh, You know again We see that Jesus models this For us um, One of the, the places that we like to quote Is Matthew chapter 9 Verses 35-38 to Where uh, the Bible says that Jesus Sees the crowds And uh, has compassion on them. And he goes around healing all their diseases. Um, But then he turns to the disciples and says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Uh, You know, the, the, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into this vineyard. And so I had to wonder, like, what in the world is Jesus actually talking about here? Where, again, what Jesus has been doing is he's He's showing them before he tells them what to do. Um, Jesus, The Bible says that Jesus had compassion on them. He saw the crowds and had compassion on them. Right? So it's easy to see crowds, but you have compassion on individuals. The, what the Bible says is that Jesus didn't just blanket, you know, just kind of throw it out like, <clears throat> all right, everybody's left foot healed. That's not what he did when he saw the crowd. He went around and healed their diseases. That's an individual thing. That takes proximity. That takes care. I don't know if you've ever been around anybody that's hurt or if you've been hurt yourself, but typically if you've got an area that is hurting, when somebody goes to touch it, you're reluctant. You even flinch sometimes. So there had to be an element of care that allowed people to to, to allow Jesus close enough to touch them. The disciples are with him as he's doing these things. So they're seeing this. And how do we know that? Because he turns to his disciples and says, yeah, these people are like lost. They're they're, uh, like sheep without a shepherd. But here's what you do. Pray to the Lord of harvest. They're ready to hear and be a part of the kingdom. They're harassed and helpless. Man, if that doesn't describe our society. Harassed, helpless like sheep without a shepherd, <clears throat> the problem is that we don't see people correctly and we're not willing to get in it oftentimes. We're not willing to take the time to listen, to actually hear about their hurts. We kind of make a diagnosis that, that tries to blanket people, and that's not the way that Jesus did, uh, did ministry. And so if we're actually taking cues from Jesus, he wasn't alone as he was seeing people. And as he was interacting with people, he was showing his disciples and telling them what to do. And he didn't say, here's some money, give it to them. What he did say was pray. And if you're going to be willing to pray, be willing to be a part of the process. Prayer changes us before it changes situations. And so if I'm going to be willing to pray about something, I have to be willing to be part of the solution. Um, The other place that Jesus says this is when he's sending out the 72. And um, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers. And then he says, now go, I'm sending you. Right? So there's there's this both and thing that, that it's not just about only the spiritual part. But if I'm willing to pray, I'm humbling myself and saying, God, what would you have me to do? And that takes proximity. So, um, I think that we we have a problem right now, really, of speaking on a lot of things that we haven't been proximate to, and that causes more problems than uh, than it does provide solutions. So, that's my prayer that we begin to be more proximate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What you're describing. Sounds a lot harder than me just getting on social media and sending a meme, just posting it out there. So everyone knows what I think, though, CJ, what you're describing sounds like um, messier, takes a lot more time, involves me being quiet and listening to other people more. These are things that are hard to do in 2021. Yeah. I mean,
1: it is so convenient, like you said, to be able to get on social media somewhere and just say something. My question is, how many people have you won to Christ because of that? (laughs) How is the kingdom actually changing because you vented out loud to everybody? Um, there's a very few people that, that maybe God has actually has his hand on them and he's using their voice, but that's not the majority of us. Most of us are called to the people right around us. And really, I don't know of anybody who that's not true of. I'm actually scared of people who are only saying things, hoping that it reaches somebody out there. Cause if you can't show me on the ground where it's working, I'm very skeptical. hmm um, But yeah, I mean, even Jesus, when you think about his ministry, yes, sometimes he announced things to crowds. But when the crowd work was done, there were a few people that asked a question and he taught them. He discipled them. And again, that takes intentionality, that takes proximity. So Jesus was very involved in their lives. Um, You know, he... The disciples were with him, but he wasn't just teaching them. He healed their moms. He uh, had meals with them. They had inside jokes. There was a few of them that he was closer to than the others. All of these nuances of relationship is where God's heart is, I believe. I mean, again, we we treat, uh, you know, even just the, the reality of love your neighbor. All right, this is the greatest commandment, which is like the other one, right? Love God. But Jesus demonstrated his love for us. We can't just say it. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And what did his son do? He came, he got proximate. He got in the mess with us and then showed us the way out. And uh, I think we we can't just proclaim. We have to be in it with people. Well,
0: this is really challenging as I'm thinking about it. Cause you know, this is the listener podcast. I always say this, my name means listener. That's why I named this podcast listener. And you know, Oh, I, you know, Oh, I'm such a great listener, but you know what? It's when I feel really strongly about something and someone is coming against my point of view, I'm not a good listener. Yeah. It takes a lot of prayer and patience to be quiet when I'm at a different place than someone else is in their journey. And I need to just listen and have compassion. And these are the three things that I heard coming out of what you just said, compassion, community and prayer. So I'm going to, those are the things I'm going to take with me. These are what Jesus modeled, compassion, community and prayer. So CJ, this is all so inspiring these conversations we're having. How Tell us how all of this is playing out in your ministry today?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So uh, there's many facets uh, about you know, what we do that you know, they, they have to cross these lines, right? Um, my wife and I are African American leaders of an all white team and we serve in the city and our the rest of our team serves in the suburbs. Um, so what in the world, right? How do we actually bring all this stuff together? Well, um, we all know we've been in a pandemic, right? And so some of the issues was how do we actually even serve our students? How do we have meaningful opportunities for ministry? How do we actually do what we're doing? We're, we're a wind, build and send ministry. How can we do that in the midst of COVID? Um, Well, the issues, Samantha, of how COVID affected people uh, looked very different in our suburban, north side suburban uh, places of our city than it did in the inner city. And um, for a lot of our our schools themselves, the north side suburban ones were, uh, some of them, they they had already been doing one day virtual anyway, so the changeover was quick. And um, so after spring break, they just went right back to doing things. Uh, but it seemed like the further south you went, the, the harder time people were having with education. And we had some schools that are kind of like right on the border. And they didn't realize until after having actually tried Zoom meetings that, oh, I'm missing 50 percent of my class. And why is that? And then as, the further you went into the city, we're not talking about computers. We're talking about food. And so, how in the world, then, in the scope of all of our ministries, how do we actually serve people? What is, how do, how, how do we win, build, and send in this environment when it's so complex and so different and the needs are so varied? Well, uh, the answer is, see the people, partner with others to try to get things done. And so, um, uh one of the things that surfaced, of course, with the base needs of people was food. Food insecurity is a real thing in the inner city uh, where we are, and um, not only there, but but primarily there. And um, so we began to, to work with, we already had partnerships with some of the pastors and things in our cities, and, um, but the schools, uh, it was just one of those things, like just everything was a need on the inner, in the inner city space. I ended up meeting with, I uh, ran into a woman that I went to college with, and she serves at a school called the Newcomer School here in Indianapolis. And uh, the Newcomer School is just kind of how it sounds. These are students who are new to not just our city, but to our country. And um, one of the things that they were suffering with was uh, inadequate health care. Um, so they couldn't get the actual care that they needed because they don't have insurance and etc etc. So we have a church that we partner with that's near this school. That our first step was not, hey, we want to come in and set up a crew ministry. Hey, there's a church that is near you that might be able to help serve some of your families with their healthcare needs. And as a part of our introduction, we uh we greeted them with food boxes and with some backpacks or with some supplies. Um that turned into not only um, a heart of gratitude from the school, but we actually ended up doing, being able to do a box of love outreach, which I need to be careful with that name, a care box outreach, because um, that's a patented product uh, from our inner city ministries. But we partnered with our inner city ministries to be able to put together um, care packages for this school. And it expanded to not just this school, but uh, several schools on three different sides of town. And and an event like that needs to have multiple partners. So we had three different locations where we had packing parties, and these people came from different churches involved with at least three different school districts. Um, and so the, the more that people wanted to do and people saw the need, the more we needed help. And expanded to we ended up having more than 200 volunteers, um, on three different sides of town from about 20 different churches and uh, and other organizations to feed uh, about 500 families uh, over the course of a weekend in February. And this opened up doors for the gospel in ways that we couldn't have seen. or I mean, we couldn't have planned for, especially in the midst of COVID. Our uh, suburban schools were able to come into the city and see something different. Um, there was one incident, um, uh, on the North side, we had a, um, a group that went out, um, and they were passing out these care boxes. We partnered with the social workers at the school to identify families, to actually deliver the boxes to their homes. And so, um, there was a group that went out and they had knocked on the door nobody answered, but a man was walking up and they noticed that there was a, some type of barrier in communication. Well, somebody realized that the man was speaking in sign language. As God would have it, somebody in that group could actually sign. I mean, it was things like that that we just saw God doing over and over um, on that day. And so there were so many people um, that were able to see a different part of the city, They were able to see different needs. And, uh, but the schools that we were able to serve felt the love of God to the point where now we're being asked to come in and run programs. We now have chaplains set up for not just the students, but for the teachers who are serving these schools. Um, And we're partnering with churches in increasing measure to get the needs met of these schools. And now it's not just the the church that was down the street, but it's churches from the suburbs saying, how can I help and uh, how can I help minister to the needs of these schools? And so um, this is how we're executing partnership here um, in Indianapolis, by God's grace, Uh, We are helping people see what they couldn't have seen before. And because of seeing what they hadn't seen, hearts of love are now expanded. And it's not just on the giving side, it's also on the receiving side. And it becomes a reciprocal relationship. Um, And people are seeing the love of God in different ways. So we're very thankful um, for the position that God has us in, um, for the partnerships he's given us and for the perspective that he's given us that we no one of us can do it alone. Um, but the mission of God takes partners and that's how he's planned it partnership with the Holy spirit and partnership with, uh, with believers, um, in our specific, uh, area and then those in surrounding areas, we can show the kingdom of God uh, when we come together. It kind of sounds like what Jesus was saying in John 17, maybe, I don't know.
0: Kind of. Yeah. Wow, that's just so encouraging and such, I mean, Jesus work to actually be able to feed people. I mean, that's Jesus did that. loaves and fishes. He cared about sure. our most basic human needs as much as he cared about our deepest spiritual needs. So I love that how you guys are able to to meet the holistically people's needs in your community. It's beautiful and totally a picture of Christ and his ministry. So yeah. CJ, thanks well, so much for being with us today. Did you want to share one more thing?
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I forgot to mention something that's, you know, very important even to us as crew. One of the most exciting things about that day was that um we actually had at least four different crew ministries represented on that day. Um, we had a virtual prayer meeting that uh, one of our high school staff was the lead on, but a collegiate staff was running background and supporting cast. Uh, so it was kind of like this, kind of like a podcast where people came in just to pray. And there were people on the ground showing videos and asking prayer requests and people from the community involved with prayer. Um, Athletes in Action was involved. Um, the collegiate ministry Uh, faculty commons, um, and like I said, the inner city ministry as well. So we had uh, several different crew ministries that came together in one space, which is one of the things I think is the beauty and really one of my prayers, that we would continue to grow not just in partnership outside of our organization, but partnership inside of our organization. We can do some powerful things in our cities uh, when we do that.